The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when His blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in His precious blood, my sin to atone, and I started singing, Preacher, open your Bibles with me this morning, the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Always excited to come. I love Gospel Baptist Church. The preacher's a dear friend of mine, and I don't have a lot of friends. <clears throat> Most of the friends I have now don't even send me a Christmas card, so I... but, it, but it is a blessing to be here. As far as I can tell, this is our fourth revival meeting Plus, one of the highlights of my life, pastor let me preach on the Easter sunrise service. Uh, he told me he wasn't thinking right when he asked me to do it, but I'm glad that he did. Such a joy to be here. I want to preach just a simple story that Jesus told. There's a man that owns a vineyard. And in his vineyard, he has a fig tree. And one day he feels like he'd probably like to eat some fresh figs. And so he goes to the tree, and there are no figs on it. And he gets irritated. And he says to the guy that takes care of his vineyard, he said, look, this tree has been here for three years. And for three years I've come, and I've wanted figs, and there's never been even one fig. He said, I'm done with it. Let's just cut it down. The guy that took care of his vineyard said, uh, he said why don't you give me one more chance? He said, let me, let me, till the ground, fertilize the soil, and let me, let me give some extra care. We'll see if it might bear fruit. If One more chance. If it doesn't bear fruit by this time next year, then we'll go ahead and cut it down. Let's look at the scriptures. Luke chapter 13, verse number 6. The Bible says, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Father, I ask you to bless the preaching this morning. I don't know the needs of the people here, but you do. God, you know about the folks that aren't saved, and they want to know that they're on their way to heaven. I pray you'd make the gospel clear and understandable to them today. Lord, there's some Christians who are discouraged. I pray you'd encourage them. Some folks who may not be completely sold out to you. I pray this would be the day they get serious about God. Lord, I ask you to help me preach, give me power. And then, Lord, please bless the invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Bible says this is a parable. If you've ever been to Sunday school, you probably learned that a parable is a story that Jesus told that has an application to you and me. So let's make the application. In our parable, there's a man who owns the vineyard. In the Bible, I read about one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the wealth in every mine. Talking about God who owns everything in everybody. God owns everything. By the way, uh, in case you all don't remember, I, I work better off of amen. In fact, you'll discover this, the more amens I get, the shorter my sermon. Yeah. And the reason for that is I don't have to stop and ask you to amen what you should have amened already. So let me try that again. God owns everything. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard little children playing and one of them says to the other, you're not the boss of me? Yeah, yeah, I know one who is the boss of you. He, he's our boss because uh, by rights of creation, God made us. And then if you're saved... You're not your own. You're bought with a price. God owns all of us. Therefore, he has a right to tell us what to do and what not to do. And so the, the owner is a picture of God. The tree, that's a picture of us. <laughs> I was in, I think, the second grade. I was in the school play, and I played a tree. I didn't get to say anything. I didn't get to do anything. They just scotch tape leaves on me and told me to stand still. I'm telling you what, it was a waste of talent. But I believe that the, the teacher probably used that as a plan to corral some of the rowdier boys because some of my friends, they were also trees. But that, 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 that's a bad thing. But, but this in this particular story, the tree is a picture of you and me. And so the the guy comes, and he's examining the tree. He wants fruit. Now, a lot of reasons that people would plant a tree, uh, a tree provides shade when it's hot, and uh, uh, you get under the shade of a tree, it's refreshing. And this tree may or may not have provided shade, but that's not why he planted the tree. Uh, Some trees are valuable because of the wood. You can make things. You can build things. But this this tree wasn't planted to provide wood. Sometimes people love trees because the birds come to the trees. I'm not much for watching birds, but some people like that. My My wife's dad had a big backyard, and in every tree he had bird feeders, and he just loved to watch the birds. I don't get it. Now don't misunderstand, I, I like birds fine, especially chicken, turkey. But in spite of all these trees, evidently he didn't have enough bird feeders because he put one on the ground. It was on a pole, big round thing on the top, looked like a giant hubcap, and he'd fill that with bird seed, and the birds would come. But I learned something about people that love birds. They hate squirrels. And so the squirrels would come, and especially this big hubcap, they would run and jump on the pole and 
climb up that pole and get up there and clean up all the bird seed. Well, he came up with an idea. He put Crisco on that pole. And the squirrels would run and they'd jump on the pole and go, it's actually the most fun I ever had bird watching. Evidently, squirrels have teeny brains because they just kept doing it over and over and over. And although he may have liked or not liked birds, that's not why he planted the tree. He planted the tree for one reason. He wanted fruit. That's the purpose of his fruit tree. He wanted fruit. By the way, if you know the Lord, he wants fruit in your life and mine. And in John's Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus said, You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now in the Bible, if you'll study the Bible, you'll find there are all kinds of fruit. For instance, in uh, Ephesians, he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. What this is, is characteristics that because I'm saved, are supposed to be evident in my life. They're qualities because you're saved. They're supposed to be evident in your life. The scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And so because I'm saved, I'm supposed to exhibit that in my life. And suppose God came through the auditorium this morning looking at your life, looking at your life, looking at my life to see if that fruit was there. Now, I got to be honest with you, some of these qualities are easier than others. I don't struggle much with love or joy or peace, but that long suffering is tough. You know, I, I'm patient, but not very patient. Life is short. And if you're at a stoplight and it turns green, that means go. You know, put your phone down and drive. But because I'm supposed to exhibit long-suffering, I've been working on it. So here's the deal. You get two seconds. After two seconds, you're getting the horn. That's all there is to it, right? Not only is there the fruit of the Spirit, but there's the fruit of soul winning. Proverbs 11, verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. You see, that simply means that because I'm saved, because I know the Lord, because my sins are forgiven, because I know that I'm on my way to heaven, I'm supposed to tell other people about that. Try that again. I'm supposed to tell other people about that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Understand, I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. God does that. But I am the messenger. I am the one who's supposed to explain that we're all sinners and we deserve to go to hell. I'm supposed to encourage people by reminding them that God loves the world and He gave His Son to suffer and bleed and die on the cross and three days later to rise again so that anybody and everybody could be saved. And if I tell enough people, somebody's going to get saved. That's a promise of Scripture. 
He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And so you're responsible. There are people that I will never reach with the gospel. But you could reach them. You have family members. You have people that you work with. You have neighbors. You have friends. There are folks that would never listen to me, but they'll listen to you. That's why it's your responsibility to tell them. You say, well, Brother Hal, I tried. Well, then try again. And if they won't listen, try on somebody else. Because the Bible's very clear that we are supposed to bear fruit. What if God came through the auditorium this morning examining your life and your life and your life and my life, and he said, how's that fruit of soul winning? Did you... Pass out any tracts last week? Have you talked to anybody about the Lord in the past month? You say, well, you know, I just really don't do that. Well, what if God said, that's it, cut it down? No fruit, no purpose, cut it down. There's also the fruit of a spiritual life. By that, that means when you get saved, you grow. You, you, you learn to do things. You, you learn to read your Bible. I remember the first time, uh, they told me, you ought to read your Bible. Well, I want to be a good Christian. And so I thought, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to start in Revelation. I didn't know any better. And the first three chapters, that's pretty easy. Seven letters of seven churches, do this, don't do that. I'm blessing you because of this. And if you don't do that, you're in trouble. I, I could get that. Chapter four shifts to heaven. And you, you, you read about, Four and twenty elders and beasts with eyes and wings and heads and horns and crowns. And I'm looking at this going, mercy. I better start at the beginning. So I went back to Genesis. Genesis is stories. I'm a story guy. I could do that. I mean, you got you got Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and Abraham offering Isaac. You got Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. His brother sold him. I have two little brothers. I thought, what a great idea. And so I'm reading through Genesis. And I thought, wow, no wonder people love the Bible. This is great. And I get to Exodus, and you got Moses before Pharaoh and all the plagues. And wow, this is fabulous. This is great. The, the blood and the frogs and the lice and the flies. And then you get to about chapter 20, and Moses goes up on the mountain, and God gives him uh, the, the law, specifically the dimensions of the tabernacle. And I'm reading about cubits. Knops and hangings and ramskins dyed red. And I thought, whew, hope this lightens up by the time I get to Levi Tychus. And you know, there would be days that I read my Bible and not understand a thing I read. But when I was done, when I was done, I just felt clean. It's the Word of God. But now we've been saved for a while. We understand we're supposed to read our Bible every day. Let me try that again. We're supposed to read our Bible every day. Yeah. We're, we're, we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to be faithful to church. Not just when it's convenient, not just when we think we ought to go or we want to go, but we're supposed to be faithful, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. 
And there ought to be evidences of growth. We're not like we used to be. None of us have achieved the perfection, but there's growth. We sing that song, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Let me ask you a question. Are you a better Christian today than you were this time last month? Are you a better Christian today than you were five years ago? You know, for some people, there was a time they were on fire for God, but they just kind of cooled off. And I wonder if God came to check and he said, I don't see any fruit of spiritual growth. The owner came and he examined the tree and there was no fruit. Now, I wondered, why is there no fruit? I came up with a couple of reasons. Maybe when the guy was planting, he, he went to the tree store and he thought he was getting a fig tree, but instead it was a fake fig tree. It looked like a fig tree. Could have been a fig tree. He thought it was a fig tree. He brought it home. He planted it. And there's no fruit. Well, you're not going to get fruit if it's not a fig tree. I don't know if that could have happened, but I do know this. There are some people who act like Christians, who look like Christians, who talk like Christians, and they've never been saved. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation. I'm against people to do that. But I am convinced there are people you're not saved, and you know it. I was in a revival meeting in Oklahoma. At the invitation, a fellow came forward, talked to the pastor. They went into the back room. Afterwards, pastor came out, and he said, that guy got saved. And I said, praise the Lord. He said, he's one of my deacons. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I talked to the guy. I said, hey, I got a question for you. Uh, did you just not have assurance and you needed to get assurance? What, what's your story? He said, Brother Hal, I knew I wasn't saved. He said, I grew up in this church. Before I was ever in school, my mom and dad brought me to this church. When I was a teenager, we had a meeting and several of my friends went forward. And I went with them because they went forward. And we all prayed a prayer, but I knew I didn't mean it. I knew I was just doing it because they did it. He said the next week, everybody got baptized. I got baptized because they all got baptized. He said, but but I, I, I began to feel bad. He said, you know, I knew I wasn't saved, but now I told everybody I was and I pretended like it when I got baptized. He said, we had a great youth department, so I loved coming to church. I, I, I had a great pastor. I loved the guy. So I stayed in church as a teenager, fell in love with a girl in the youth department. We got married. She had been married about a year, and pastor asked me to teach a Sunday school class. And I thought, oh, great. I'm not even saved. But I couldn't tell the pastor. He thought, I've been in Sunday school all these years. I guess I could probably fake it. And he faked it. Said a couple years ago, Pastor asked me to pray about being a deacon, and I, I really wanted to tell him that I wasn't saved. He said, But 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 I was so ashamed that I'd been lying all these years that I just accepted it and I became a deacon. And he said, and, and this morning while you were preaching, I decided I'm done faking it. I've got to get saved. I told that story a couple weeks later. I was preaching in Oregon. Young man in the church, he'd graduated from Bible college, working with the teenagers. He'd grown up on the mission field. After the service, he told the pastor, he said, that story he told, that's my story. He said, I've never been saved. I've just been faking it all these years. i got to get saved. Had I not experienced those stories, I would have wondered if that really happened. But I'm convinced there are people that are not saved. And you know it. No wonder there's no fruit. 
Possibly it really was a fig tree, but it's just really slow and maturing. I know I'm not a treeologist, but I would assume some trees bear lots of fruit and some not much. But after a while, you would expect a fruit tree to bear fruit. And so that's why the guy said, give me one more chance. Give me one more year. Maybe uh, we, when we lived in Missouri, nobody waters in Missouri because you get so much rain. Just your grass stays green, your weeds grow quickly. But uh, several years ago, we had a drought, no rain at all. It's over 100 degrees. And I pulled in, we'd been gone for uh, probably a couple of months. It's July, pulled in, and it is over 100 degrees. And in front of my house, I had several ornamental bushes in front of the porch, and they had all died. And I said, Yes! Because every time we came home, Karen, we have a rule. She takes care of the inside, I take care of the outside. So she made me pull weeds and trim the bushes. But now these babies are dead. I'm excited. I said, yes. She said, don't get real excited. We're getting new bushes. So I went to the bush store and got 10 bushes. You know, you could buy a car for what you spend for 10 bushes. I dug up the old ones, I put in the new ones, and met a, a young man from our church who mowed my grass. And I said, Caleb, every time you mow the grass, I want you to water these bushes. I said, I can't afford to replace them. I don't care if it's raining, water the bushes. Because uh, the bushes that I had before, they died because they didn't get water. You know, maybe there's no fruit because you're not getting nourished. You're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. There are necessities to the Christian life that will help you to grow and help you to bring forth fruit. And if you don't have any, you're not going to bear fruit. We had a whole bunch of oak trees on the side of our house and came home one time. One of them had fallen over. I looked in, inside and it was all filled with bugs. It rotted out. My tree got diseased. Now, if you'd have looked at it, it looked, it looked fine. It had bark and green leaves and everything, but it got diseased from the inside. Lots of Christians messing around with sin, they get diseased from the inside. And although everything on the outside may look right, one of these days, boom, and there's no fruit. I don't know. But I'm convinced as I'm preaching this morning, as the Holy Spirit deals with each of us individually, you know if there's fruit in your life. What if God came through and He says, I'm going to give you one more year. One more chance to bear fruit. One more year. What if God did that last February? I don't know exactly how God works in these things, but I do know this. There are things that you have a chance to do today that you may not ever have a chance to do again. Years and years ago, I heard J. Harold Smith preach his sermon, God's Three Deadlines. In that sermon, he tells about a church service one night where he's preaching the gospel, begging people to get saved. But in the very back row, there's a whole group of teenagers that just goofed off the whole time. And it seemed like the ringleader was a young lady. Her name was Katie. And so Brother Smith made it a point to talk to her after the service. As they're going out, he shook her hand, and he said, Young lady, I couldn't help noticing that you weren't paying much attention. I'm curious, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? And Katie was embarrassed. She couldn't believe the preacher would call her out in front of her friend. She was upset. She looked him in the eye, and she said, Preacher, if I knew that I'd be in hell tonight, I wouldn't get saved. 
She didn't mean that. She, she was just spouting off because he'd embarrassed her. Katie had come to church with her mom and dad. They didn't live far, but they lived out in the country. He had to go up a hill, down a hill, and up another hill. Dad was driving. Mom's in the front seat. Katie's in the back seat. And as that uh, car crested that first hill, another car was coming from the opposite direction in their lane. Katie, dad swerved to avoid a head-on collision, lost control, and that car went down the embankment and began to flip and to roll flipped and rolled several times, came to rest on all four tires. Miraculously, nobody was seriously hurt. Mom and Dad got out, but the roof had caved in, and Katie's trapped in the back seat. Dad said, Katie, you okay? She said, Daddy, I'm fine, but I'm scared. Get me out. He said, I can't. The roof's caved in. He said, they'll be here soon with tools, and they'll cut the roof away, and we'll get you out. But are you okay? She said, Daddy, I'm fine, but get me out. I'm scared. By now, the car that had caused them to run off the road had stopped, and several young men came running back to see if anyone was hurt, if they could help. One of the young men had a cigarette, and he threw it on the ground. He didn't know that when that car had flipped and rolled, the gas tank had ruptured, and he had no idea that where he threw his cigarette was right into a pool of that gasoline that caught fire. And that fire raced up to the car, the gas tank exploded, and now the car is in flames. Katie's trapped in the back seat. She began to scream, help me, get me out! Bystander said that you could hear her screams for more than a quarter of a mile. Her very last words were these. She said, help me, I'm going to hell. I don't know if when she said, if I knew I'd be in hell tonight, I wouldn't get saved. I don't know if maybe God said, that's it. That's it. Cut it down. I don't know that, but I do know this. What Katie could have done that night, she will never, ever be able to do again. Little girls rode on our Sunday school bus. Both of them got saved. By the way, that's a good spot for an amen. Whenever children get saved, that's a big deal. Let me try that again. A couple little girls got saved. Yeah, we followed up on the family, and mom, her name is Angel. She, she came to the church and got saved. We went back to talk to Dad. His name is Shane. Shane said, you know, I'm already saved. My mom was a godly lady, and she uh, uh, took us to church as boys. And as a young man, I got saved. And I said, well, that's great, because now your daughters are saved, your wife's saved. You guys can get into church and serve God together. And he said, no. He said, I don't do church. I said, what are you talking about? He said, my mom made me go, and I decided that when I got big, I wasn't going to go to church. He said, I can worship God fine, but, but, but I'm not going to church. I said, Shane, you need to be a leader. You need to be an encouragement. You need to be a help to your family. He said, look, they can go. I won't stop them, but I'm not going. Well, I went back several times and tried to encourage him to come, but he was just belligerent, just obstinate. I'm not going to church. Angel and the girls were faithful, got baptized. She's serving the Lord. But after about nine months, she came to me and she said, Preacher, I just hate to leave Shane at home. I, I don't want to come without him. I said, Angel, you just stay faithful. Keep praying. Maybe God will work on his heart. But she got discouraged and dropped out of church. I went back and I said, I said you need to be in church. She goes, I'll come if Shane comes. Probably... Four or five years passed. 
One Sunday morning, Shane walks into church. Got on a nice suit and tie. I said, Shane, it's great to see you. He said, he said Preacher, I'm ashamed. I, I, I've been running for, from God all these years. I want you to know I got right with God. He said, I want to serve God. I want to give Him my life. I said, well, Shane, I've been praying for you. That's great encouragement. I said, where's Angel and the girls? He hung his head and choked back tears. And he said, she left me. She left me. He said, I'm not trying to make deals with God, but I thought maybe if I got right with God, and if I really got serious, she'd see that things are different and she'd come home. And he did get right with God and he did serve the Lord, but you know what? Angel and the girls never came. I don't know if maybe when he said, I don't do church, God said, that's enough, cut it down. I don't know if that happened, but I do know this. What he could have done then, he'll never be able to do again. We had a good family in our church. Dad, mom, a couple of teenage girls. Great family. You'd love these people, preacher. But they had a little cabin up at Lake of the Ozarks. That's a recreation area near us. And... Every Sunday night, they'd come to church Sunday morning, but as soon as church is over, up to the cabin they'd go. Every Sunday night during the summertime, they'd go up to the lake. And I, I talked to Dad. I said, you need to be in church, man. You've got teenage girls. We had our youth department on Sunday night. I said, it'd be a great encouragement to them. He goes, I know, preacher, but I work six days a week. This is the only time we have off. I, I, I'm just putting my family first. One Sunday night after church, I got a phone call. You need to get to the Lake of the Ozarks Hospital. There's been a terrible accident. The girls have been out in the car, and she lost control, went down a, a, a little a steep hill, and ran into a tree. The oldest daughter was dead. Her younger sister was in intensive care, hanging between life and death. And I rushed up to the hospital, and I went into that intensive care room where this young lady's hooked up to all these machines. Mom and dad are hanging over her bed just sobbing and weeping. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose one child and have another hanging between life and death. And as, he, as I walked into the room, he heard my footsteps and he turned around. And he came and he threw his arms around me and he said, Oh, preacher, I wish we'd have been in church tonight. For the rest of his life, wish he'd have been in church that night. You see, what he could have done then, he'll never be able to do again. I don't know if maybe God said, that's it. Cut it down. But I do know this, the opportunities that were there, they're gone. What is it that God wants you to do today? Friend, if you're not saved, you need to get saved today. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Not talking about joining this church. Not talking about getting baptized. Not talking about any church. I'm talking about coming to Christ, recognizing that only He can forgive your sins and make you a child of God and keep you from going to hell, take you to heaven. You say, well, I'll think about it. What if God today says, that's it. I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but it does happen. God put this story in the Bible for a reason. What if you're already saved, but you're just not serious about God? You come on Sunday morning, you're pretty faithful on Sunday morning, but you've got other things to do, even though you know God demands faithfulness. What if God says, one more chance? One more chance. You know what's interesting? We don't know a thing about this tree from this day. 
We don't know if it bore fruit, got to stick around, or the next year was cut down. And honestly, I don't know a thing about what's going on in your heart. You do, and God does. Maybe you're saved. Maybe you're trying to do right, but you're just a little wishy-washy, a little lukewarm. Isn't about time to get serious about God. You got one more chance. I would take advantage of it. Let's bow our heads.